Hello everyone and welcome to Autism Stories. I'm your host Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic folks and others in the autism community to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episodes, of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. This episode marks the 100th episode of Autism Stories and it's been an amazing experience getting here. I started out with episode one when the best person at my wedding And from there, things just kind of took off. I remember early on in the process, I reached out to the wonderful Dr. Lamar Hardwick, who lives in another state than me, and he was kind enough to allow me to interview him. And from that point on, it really started to shift my focus of the podcast in that I started to think, oh, I may be able to interview autistic folks from just about anywhere. So I've interviewed people in so many different states and and different countries now around the world. We have listeners from 68 different countries, which is truly a shocking number to me. I've developed several friendships as a result of this podcast, and it's led me to launching a second podcast with the amazing Becca Laurie Hector. Sometimes people ask me what my favorite episode is, which is really impossible for me to answer because I, re- I really love something different about every episode of Autism Stories. Whether it's interviewing so many people who uh, joined me on a podcast for the first time and sharing their story and sharing their expertise, uh, or to those who have been guests on many other podcasts, or those even that have thought enough about autism stories to return multiple times when I've bugged them to be interviewed again. Or even to the one episode where I had a fantastic guest host in Haley Moss. I'm really so thankful for each and every one of the episodes. On today's episode, I'm so pleased to have C.V. Bodine join me to discuss the first 100 episodes of Autism Stories, Advocacy, Medical Appointments for Autistic Folks. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. CV, we've been planning this for a while and we finally made it happen. So thanks so much for joining me today. For having me. Wanted to start with the question that I give so many of our guests. Where does your story in the autism community begin? Yeah, my story began probably 19 years ago in 2002 when my child was diagnosed. And... I didn't know it then, but autism was became a special interest for me. Everything to do with autism and sensory, too. And it just it resonated so deeply with me. It just Autism just made sense, and it felt familiar. And I wanted to know 
just everything I could about it. And even though I aligned so much with everything about being autistic, I never considered that I was actually autistic. I think because back then they were still using the DSM-4 and it was mostly uh, kids, white boys that were diagnosed. So I didn't even consider it. And then over the years, I had a handful of autism professionals who were also my friends suggest to me that I might be autistic. And gradually I started exploring this more and more and it just made so much sense. And I think um, I, I contacted you back then about six years ago yeah. to be my coach. And I started at that point to quietly identify as autistic in small circles. And then actually I got the confidence to pursue a uh, an actual diagnosis a year and a half ago at age 51 and I'm 53 now. So it, it took quite a while to get there, but I did it. <laughs> mm -hmm. With this being the hundredth episode of autism stories, and I don't know how I got to a hundred. Uh, it's, it's been qu quite a, a, a journey. I wanted to talk with you as someone that I admire so much and who I've known, uh, you know, we, like you said, we've known each other for quite a while now. I can't believe it's been 60 years. <laughs> <laughs> Things have changed, I think, a lot for both of us in both of our lives in that time. Uh, but, but I know you've listened to lots of the epi of our episodes and you've given me some great feedback on, on so many of the episodes. So for you, what have been some of maybe the episodes or guests that, that you really kind of connected with? Well, first off, congratulations on your 100th episode. That's, like, amazing. <laughs> I'm throwing glitter confetti everywhere right now. <laughs> and thank you for highlighting so many diverse voices on your podcast and for providing a platform for autistic voices to share their stories. It's incredible. Favorite episodes. Wow. I, I think I... I listen to all of them, and some of them I, I would look at and say, oh, no, that doesn't really interest me, but then I would find something that I connected with, so I really like all of them, but I guess my favorites are the ones that are late-diagnosed autistics, like myself. Um, Becca Laurie Hector is, is probably my favorite. She's She's authentic. She she says it like it is. She drops a lot of f bombs, which I just absolutely <laughs> love about her. <laughs> and uh, I think you're the one that connected me with her. So thank you for that. Uh, I've gone on to take her course too on self defined living, and it's just been life changing. So she's definitely one of my favorites. But um, I also really love Rebecca Cavender and Marcy. Uh, Siampi and uh, Bill Clifton Toll's episodes too. They they all just resonate so deeply with me in uh, kind of a non non linear non based way that I just uh, I don't know I, I just really resonate with with all of their experiences. And at this point, who would you like to uh, see me interview on Autism Stories that I haven't been fortunate enough to talk with yet? Boy, I, I really do like being surprised every Monday, <laughs> and I, I love your ability to find such a variety of people with interesting stories, but 
I think my first kind of knee-jerk reaction is uh, Sarah Salvaggi Hernandez, the autistic OT. I just, I love her passion for social justice, and disability rights, and the work that she's doing as both an autistic person and an OT. It's, it's so important. And I, I love her ability to describe her own sensory experiences because it's really helped me personally to kind of put words to what I was feeling. And I, I really admire Sarah a lot, so I don't know if it's possible, but I would love to hear her do a podcast with you. Something that you participated in this past summer, which sounded fantastic, was the Crip Camp, the official virtual experience. Um, I, I love the documentary, so I was really interested to hear about what this experience over the summer was like for you. So maybe can you talk a bit about a little bit about that for those that might not be aware uh, of what uh, the virtual experience was like? Yeah. Oh, man. It was such an amazing experience. It's really it's hard to condense everything <laughs> or really even put like uh, all the feels into words. But uh, just a little background on uh, Crip Camp is a documentary film about a group of teenagers who met in the 70s at a summer camp and went on to challenge the barriers that disabled people face in the world and start a disability revolution. And after the film was released, there was so much response and interest in, in continuing to grow the movement. And so they decided to offer a virtual Crip Camp through Zoom, actually. And they thought that there would be maybe 500 or so, but it ended up being over 10,000 people all over the world that signed up. So it was wow. just incredible. We met once a week on Zoom for for 16 weeks, I think. And there was over 30 different speakers and uh, a different topic or workshop each week. They had music in the background. They had journaling prompts. They had a Facebook group, Twitter, topics about disability culture, identity, trauma-informed care, uh, sex and intimacy, reproductive justice, the history of disabled black activism, spirituality, and, and so many more. It was just, ugh, there, there's just not enough time to talk about it all. But <laughs> um, even President Obama made us the prize visit one week, so that was really cool. But something that I really loved about the whole experience that was new to me was the way that they pulled it all together. And it was as inclusive as, as it could be on, on Zoom. But I could participate from home. I could use earphones, you know, to isolate the sound and uh, read the words in captioning, which really helps me a lot. And I could see the speakers' faces, and they gave descriptions. And there was a sign language interpreter, too. So the speakers all kind of spoke slow enough to allow for the interpreters to keep pace. And that allowed me to process and, and not fall behind, which happens a lot. I'll be like a couple sentences behind. 
And uh, so this was a really new experience for me to be able to participate in a fully inclusive way and and retain the information. It was really, really cool. <laughs> I could say a lot more, but I'll, I'll stop myself. <laughs> how, how do you see this experience as something that helped you to not only maybe become a better advocate for yourself, but for others as well? Learning about the disability culture, I think, is is really important. I I had a lot to learn about, like the language, the preferred language, and to get familiar with that. Hearing it over and over and in different ways was helpful. And the diversity uh, of different people presenting, and then also getting to to know or realize my own personal biases and, and the sort of blind spots that I had about uh, the disability community and my own disabilities and my own kind of internalized ableism. So after um, doing this, I, I started to get more comfortable in realizing what my needs were and asking for supports and becoming more vocal and also saying no to the things that I don't want to do. That was always hard for me. <laughs> so I think feeling more confident, identifying openly as disabled and autistic, and, and, and participating in that program, and then also uh, continuing online with the Facebook group, I have just met such amazing supportive people from all over the world, really, really amazing. And how is that? How is that kind of that community of meeting people online changed your life? I can think about what I want to say. I can be uh, present and feel kind of well, definitely less anxious. So I feel comfortable at home, and this really gives me a, a way to have friendships and a way to just be myself. Thinking about the about advocacy before and after the Crip Camp, the official virtual experience, one of the things that we've talked privately on several occasions are the challenges that autistic and neurodiverse folks face in navigating the medical system. What what are some of the barriers you see in this system that prevents neurodiverse people from getting their needs met way too often in, the, in these settings? Ooh, that's a big one. That's such a great question. Um, there's, there's a lot to say about this. Medical and dental trauma is, is just huge, uh, especially for autistic people because it's, it's an invisible disability. And the medical model is really set up for non-disabled people to access health care. So I think one of the biggest things is communication. It's, it's sort of assumed that speaking words and hearing them without delay is preferred by everyone. And it's just not true. So asking the person right off the bat, you know, how do you best process information? What is your preferred method of communication? I think this is, is so often missed. And 
if you look at it, like if someone only speaks Spanish and you only speak English, it's good to know this up front because otherwise going forward, there's going to be a barrier. And, you know, communication can be a big barrier for healthcare and it can be life or death in some cases. So, you know, if you have non-autistic doctors and nurses only providing communication or information in one way, and the autistic person communicates in a different way, there's going to be a breakdown. So another way uh, that this sort of uh, presents too is making phone calls. Some, some doctors only offer one option to schedule or to get refills or medical advice and you have to call on the phone. And this is a huge issue for me personally, but also for a lot of my autistic friends. It's something that we avoid. <laughs> like we just, we just don't want to do it. And uh, I think being able to email or schedule online can just help tremendously for a lot of us to access the care that we need. And then some of the other ones, I think sensory issues is a big deal too in uh, doctor's offices and hospitals. You know, the bright lights, the sounds, the smells. It can cause, for me sometimes, it can cause me to, to almost lose my words and not be able to find the words that I need. And also lack of eye contact can, can be misinterpreted. Like... Um, for me, as I've gotten older and um, I think more accepting of, of myself, I realized that if I look you in the eye, I'm not going to hear what you're saying. So I've, I've started you know, looking down and being able to listen better. And this can be misinterpreted as I'm either lying or it's a trauma response. You know, it's, it's shame from trauma. So... When that happens, then a lot of the times the physical symptoms that I'm trying to convey, they can be seen only through the lens of trauma and be kind of blown off as, as psychological and not physical. So the message that I've gotten over the years is almost to gaslight myself, like to ignore physical pain and, and not seek medical attention for it. So I think that... Um, there's just, there's a lot of layers of re-traumatization with medical appointments. And I hope that this, this can change as we move forward. It's 2020, the, the phone call, the dreaded phone call. It's, it's amazing to me why in so many instances you still have that, that only option of making the phone call. What about like in terms of like making appointments when you have to make that phone call? How often has that stopped you from just even making an appointment? I'm laughing because I I haven't. I literally have avoided. I had a, a hip replacement and I am supposed to have a follow-up. And I'm embarrassed to say it's been three years. I'm supposed to go every year. And I just. I tell myself I'm going to call, and I just, I can't. And I've tried to schedule online, but I don't get a response, even though some of the hospital systems are now offering that, where, you know, you can click, and it'll say, uh, you put some dates in or whatever, but 
for some reason I don't get a reply back. So, so it's not going well. <laughs> I don't know what the answer is there. Now this year, so many medical appointments have moved to teletherapy appointments. How how do you see this change in how it affects autistic people in, in these situations? Yeah, I, I can only speak from my own experience. Um, I don't know if, if everyone prefers this way, but I certainly do. It uses way less spoons and energy. You know, going to a medical appointment plays out in my head a week, sometimes two weeks before, and I will be taking notes in my phone, practicing what to say, scripting, and just getting super anxious about the whole thing. And then, you know, the day of the appointment, getting ready, driving there, all the bright lights, the smells, the noise, the people. <laughs> By the time I get into the room and I'm sitting across from the doctor, I'm just I'm done. And my words will sometimes just rush out in an anxious lava form of nonsense and it <laughs> it's extremely frustrating so from home I can eliminate all of that and you know my my supports are in place I can advocate better I'm more present and I think offering telehealth can benefit a lot of people to access health care disabled or not I, I hope that this will be able to continue after the vaccines and the pandemic kind of ease off, hopefully. <laughs> now, nothing about us without us is an important and a common saying in the disability community. If medical professionals are listening, what would be your message in how they can improve healthcare needs for, for those on the spectrum? Why, it'd be, it'd be really great if they could listen and read, watch, seek out resources from, from autistic people themselves. And, you know, we're everywhere online now. Social media, blogs, YouTube videos, Twitter. And we want to share. We want to improve access to health care. And we want to talk to you. So I think a great place to start maybe would be just to Google the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network. There's a lot of resources there. Another idea that I had was it, it would be so cool to have neurodiverse medical professionals openly practicing. I mean, how awesome would that be? Mm -hmm. Hiring neurodiverse people to work in medical settings and, and provide input and trainings and have them on staff to consult with issues, you know, with emergency room visits or, or whatever. And I think that um, it's important for colleges, too, for students that are going into the medical field. They, they need more training on neurodiversity. They really do. So maybe hiring autistic people to work at these colleges and universities to write curriculums and share their experiences, it would be really helpful. My message to medical professionals would be please, 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 please don't speak for us without us. It's really, really important. Well, CV, 
I really appreciate you joining me today. There was only a couple of people I was thinking about in terms of being on kind of a milestone episode of Autism Stories. I'm not very good at celebrating milestones or any, if it's an accomplishment, any type of accomplishment. So thanks for, for being here today. Oh, thank you. It's an honor. I'm so pleased that you chose me to do your 100th episode and congratulations. Thanks to everyone for listening, and thanks so much to CV for the conversation. You can find a link for a free call to discuss how coaching from Autism Personal Coach can help you, so book a call with me today. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about autism stories. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, Marcus Boyd joins us to talk about autistic advocacy. Talk to you then.